Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Welcome everyone, thanks so much for tuning in Again, this is hashtag jazz. Uh, I guess I, I'm too used to introducing ourselves. <laughs> but the problem whenever we, you know, we, we do these podcasts is usually I, my mood is dictated by the last game that the Jazz played. So I mean, the Jazz were on a pretty good stretch the last couple of games, but they lost today, uh, the day we're recording, to the Spurs, and then suddenly I'm in a bad mood again, and I'm ready to whine and criticize everything the Jazz have been doing, even though they have been playing better, so I'm going to try and keep it under control. Uh, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a more somber mood because I have a bunch of studying to do for my math final tomorrow, but... Yeah, that... Having tons of finals puts anybody in a bad mood. Um, I'm no exception from that. So... I guess... Let's get into the the Houston game. We're gonna jump back one game really quick because I want you know as much as I'd love to you know whine and criticize about the the San Antonio game, the Houston game was uh, that was an event. That's all, that's all I've got to say about that. It was just a there's so much to talk about in that game with uh, Rudy Gobert, with Derek Favors, and James Harden, and everything. So. Unless, if you've been living with your head under a rock, the, the essentials are Rudy Gobert got ejected two minutes and 47 seconds into the game after a after getting called for a foul on a on the tip-off. And then he got called on a flop on James Harden, a call that I've seen made before but still really frustrating. And then Rudy Gobert slapped a couple of chalk container bottle things into next week. And got ejected for it. And then the Jazz won by like 27 points. So, yeah, that happened. Yeah, that was really interesting. I remember like all of a sudden it's a dead ball and the tip-off. I'm like, what the hell happened? I'm like, oh, it's a foul on Rudy Gobert. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> um, and that fell, oh my god, I'm so tired of... The flopping nonsense. I and I agree. I even heard plenty of people say this. David Locks have said this. Um, all sorts of people said that you know this was just kind of a, an attack towards Rudy. It's like you're going to criticize us. We're going to call this on you. That's not. I mean, that's childish to me. In all honesty, like you guys are um, kind of your own brotherhood. I guess you could call it as referees, but. That doesn't give you the re- that doesn't give you the right to just be like, well, we don't like what you said, so we're gonna call a foul on you every time. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was just I mean, and I, I'm not a huge fan of guys like David Locke or Tony Jones and stuff like that. I mean, uh, but I, I I retweeted a bunch of their tweets just because yeah, you know, like I said, they were saying it was looking almost like an attack, and and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, I like to assume the best in people, or at least I like to assume better intentions, but 
no matter what, you have to look at that and think that is incredibly suspicious. That a call that is never made, a, a foul, on a tip-off. And they, they had an explanation for it. Like, he supposedly grabbed Clint Capella. And he, he didn't. Like, there was a, a fairly iffy motion where, like, he brought his arm down onto Capella's shoulder. But in an instant, it wasn't there. And Clint Capella got the tip-off. It's like, what on earth are you doing? It was just... But even still, I mean, it's it's the jump ball. There's contact on the jump ball regardless. They're both, they're two people fighting for the ball. Of course there's going to be contact. No one, that's it, why you don't call it on a jump ball. Yeah, and that's what pretty much everybody's saying. I mean, I, I didn't listen to a ton of people's comments, like at least live myself, but from what I'm hearing, you know, Shaq was saying that happens on every jump ball, and you know, other people's just like, it happens. And you watch any tip ball, it's... There's going to be some contact on a lot of them. And it was just a dumb thing. And it was the guy, I'm suddenly spacing his name, but Courtney Kirtland, I think. Kirkland, I think is how you say his name or how it's spelled. I think he, he might have been the guy to call the tip foul, and I think he was one of the guys more responsible for ejecting him. And maybe not, but this was the same guy that was uh, involved in the Sean Livingston thing last year where he, he bumped heads with Sean Livingston and got suspended for it. This is the same guy who's, you know, has had a beef with other players in-game and apparently has another beef in-game with Rudy Gobert. So it's just... It was unprofessional. It was dumb. Granted, Rudy Gobert slapping the the stuff off the table, that wasn't exactly professional either. He shouldn't have done it. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted about that too. I was like, dude, I get you're frustrated, but come on. Yeah, so there's definitely fault on Rudy Gobert's part, but yeah, the, the, the referee calls were terrible, and I mean, you, you could you could have said impact of the game, but I guess it didn't end up impacting the final result, at least. I mean, Rudy Gobert obviously didn't have an impact on the game, but the Jazz ended up going nuts in that game. Uh, I mean, the one person in particular that I, I just loved how he responded to this and just made me love him even more is Derek Favors. He's, Derek Favors has been, you know, there's rumors of him getting traded. It's been going on for the last three years. We've been talking about how, you know, we feel like he should probably get traded. But he's just, you know, brought his lunch pail to work every day. And against the Rockets, he got to prove himself yet again because he, you know, he ended up with, what, 24 points and 10 rebounds. He was the leader for the Jazz in rebounds this is the first time that anybody other than Rudy Gobert has led the Jazz in rebounds this season. Uh, he was also the team leader in points and was just the anchor of the team. When the Jazz really needed uh, production from the center with their star center out, Rudy Gobert comes in and just has a heck of a game. It's not like he you know, he didn't put up a 50-point game and a 30-point rebound game, but or a 30-point rebound game. There you go. That's English. Uh, but he he did what the Jazz needed to do. He brought some rim protection. He brought rebounding, and he brought interior scoring. And you know, the rest of the Jazz kind of did their thing. And you end up with a a 20-point win. So, and it's games like these that make me feel even worse about constantly going on about how the Jazz need to trade Derek Favors when that, that deadline comes to, like, January 15th. 
because he's he's a warrior, and you gotta love him. Uh, well, yeah, but this also like drives home the fact that I still feel like we should keep him so that he could be that backup center for Rudy. For that very reason. I mean, uh, well, not that reason specifically, but for times that, that, you know, he needs to step up, it's good to have him coming in as a five. Uh, I was also impressed by uh, Epe Udo's efforts, too. I mean, he didn't, like, light up the scoreboard, but he he played a huge role in that game, too. Because he had to step up, and he he played the bench role, and that was awesome. Um I just love seeing the Rockets lose, especially seeing Mike D'Antoni scratch his head um, and kind of just bewilderment. Like, uh, I, I got nothing for you. I don't know what to say. Because it was just dominance. It was complete dominance. Like, I've never seen James Harden. Um, I, I think he's still, what, he got like 17 points or something like that, but he was garbage. Um, and, I, I, and I love seeing CP3 just do terrible as well because I hate him, but that's beside the point. Uh, it was just a rally effort. I mean, the crowd, as soon as that, as soon as Rudy got kicked out of the game, I mean, the crowd was fired up and the jazz fed off that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I totally agree. I'll, anytime that James Harden plays bad, I'm happy. And Chris Paul, the same, just two <laughs> deplorable basketball players, not necessarily in talent, but in personality and on court manner. And just, they're just not likable. I don't know how people like yeah. them, considering yeah, well, their games are just for sure. And I mean, when your mom is texting you and being, or like, uh, it was a Facebook conversation, or uh, she was like, Harden just needs to go, or something like that. And I was like, yeah, the best part of his game is flopping like a fish. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that's just when when so much of your game is predicated on whining and flopping. It's just so hard to respect. It's like every player flops to some degree, at least sure. in the NBA. Maybe not all of them, but a good portion of them. It's a part of the game we all hate, but a lot of people do it. But it's like so much of James Harden's game and his dominance is, you know, manipulating the referees. It's not playing basketball, it's playing ref ball. Which, sure, you're bending the rules, but that yeah, I don't know just you, you, you can't respect a guy who relies on referees so much and, and granted James Harden can have games where he doesn't rely on referees but when so much of his dominance does you, you just can't like him yeah yeah uh, I mean it, it is what it is it's not going to go anywhere because it's always going to be not even like the superstar call I mean he has found out a way to exploit um, the way people uh make contact with him i mean he brings his arms down he sweeps through and that, I, I but it, it is what it is he's mastered the art of drawing a foul that is for sure um and for in many many um aspects of his game are predicated by how often he could get that foul which is fine but if you're gonna sit there and tell me that there's this new freedom of movement rule and rudy gobert goes down to take his position in the post and he literally like goes like how he would with anybody if it was a big or anybody else that that other person more often than not would stand their ground and not fall down like they just got mowed over like Rudy made little to no contact with him it was just him locking his position and Harden just fell down and oh I'm hurt whatever <laughs> yeah Harden would uh, 
you know, make soccer players red with shame over his flopping. They'd be like, oh, man, that's a little too much there. Oh, my God, um, yeah. You, you talk about a prima donna on the basketball court. It would be even worse than soccer. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess, again, on the Jazz side, you have... <laughs> the, jazz, the Jazz took care of business. I guess that's all you got to say is they did. And even though there weren't a lot of impressive performances, like outside of Derek Favors, probably the most impressive player... Um was uh, Joe Ingles, who went 6 of 9 field goals, 4 of 6 from 3, 18 points. Really nobody else impressed a lot. I mean, at least on the stat sheet, I mean, you brought up uh, Ipe Udo. He did pretty well and was in a kind of an emergency reserve role. And I know Dante X ended up with 15 points, but a lot of his playing time was in garbage time, so it, you know, there's only so much you can be impressed by that. Um, but... Overall, it's just good to see the Jazz take care of business in a game where you know they lost their best player. Um, but I want to shift a little bit, and this will kind of feed into the San Antonio game. But I want to shift. It's it's something that's unfortunately a little negative, and that is you know, the the shooting of the Jazz. And not just and it's not just the offense. It's the the three point shooting or just field goal percentage of the Jazz and. It, it really has me concerned because even if you look at the, the Houston game, you look at some of the Jazz's best players. I mean, outside of Joe Ingles, you look at Jay Crowder, who started 1 of 5 from 3. Ricky Rubio, 1 of 4. Donovan Mitchell, 0 of 3. Uh, Royce O'Neal, 1 of 4. Um, just not a whole lot of good shooting in that game. And it's been a problem all season. Like, outside of a couple... You know, games where one of these guys catches hot, you've seen players really struggling from three, and I think it's becoming an issue for the. Well, it's been an issue, and it's been causing problems. I think uh, this whole season, and I mean, you really think is, is there anything we can really do about it? I mean, we've been talking about trades, you know, so much this season. Is is there really anything you can feel like we can change about this? I don't know if there really is, man, um, because at the end of the day, everyone's human. Um, now, it's obviously ha- happening with the relative frequency here, but um, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Corver was brought in for the sole purpose of bringing uh, that outside shot, more consistent shot to the roster, but at the end of the day, it's still, I mean, shooting, in, and this is just me speaking, I'm not the professional by any stretch but um for me shooting when i make a shot i'm not thinking about it and i feel like in some aspects they're thinking about the shot way too much they're thinking about how the release is what whatever part of it it is they're thinking about it too much when you're not thinking about a shot you're making it more often than than you're not um so I don't know. I mean, the the thing that Quinn Snyder always preaches is that, you know, it's about the consistency. It's about getting done the things that you need to get done, whether it's on the defense or the offensive side of the ball. They're getting those open looks. They're not falling, and that kind of looks like it's a problem, but I don't know if that necessarily is, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know if anybody, like, coming in to, like, kind of bolster the roster with either, like, how we were talking about Bradley Beal or... Um, Otto Porter Jr. weeks ago. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer at this point because, I mean, we've the past week and, what, two weeks, if anything, we've seen the Jazz playing much, much better basketball. 
I mean, then was it the Houston game? We got seventy points in the paint. I mean, th- that's our strength right there. It's it's drive and kick. Yeah, and, and I think you know the Jazz have played a little bit better on offense, but again, their shooting hasn't necessarily picked up. I know if you look at the last again, if you look at the last couple of weeks, technically the Jazz, I think I looked up, are like fifth in three point percentage, but that's mainly because of the San Antonio game, which is an extreme outlier. Because if you look at the other games, there was uh, oh, now I have to look up the game logs. Um, they weren't as they weren't as impressive as the like seventy percent they shot from three of the twenty for thirty three. Let's see, so no, they shot sixty percent from three against San Antonio. They shot twenty five against Houston, thirty three against Miami, a, a decent forty five against Charlotte, and thirty two against Brooklyn. I mean, that's basically since the Cal Corver trade. Um, so in the in the four games before uh, this this last San Antonio game, because Basketball Reference hasn't quite updated yet, they've shot forty one percent from three, and, th- and that's including a game where they made sixty percent of their threes. So if you're percentage wise, and uh, if you look at league wide heading into the San Antonio game, they were, I believe, 25th in three-point percentage. Yet, they're in the top half of the NBA in three-point attempts. I believe you brought this up in one of the past episodes. Um, where, you know, they the Jazz take a bunch of threes, and they have the confidence, and I don't know if they're necessarily thinking about it too much. I mean, look at a guy like Jay Crowder. He goes into a game, you know, he, he's... He shoots like he's a 40% three-point shooter, but he's a sub-30% three-point shooter, I believe. He might be a hair over 30%, or he might be a little under. I I might need to look that up, but he's not a good three-point shooter. Uh, He has his games. He has games where he does really good, but then he has another five games where he shoots... You know, one of five, one of six, you know, something like that. So. Sure, and I mean, in the heat of the moment, that never looks good. Um, I mean, you should always have confidence in your shot, and I think that Dre Crowder, Jay Crowder, has great confidence in his shooting, but I, there's also, like, the being too confident. I mean, if you, like, shoot the shot and you run away, like, oh, I got that, and you miss, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Um yeah, I don't really know because I mean to to go back to you know when we were talking about how the Jazz were you know terrible at making those threes, but they were the one of the best at getting them. Um, the fact that it's gone up is is um, is a good thing. I don't I don't see that. I mean, we're not gonna do we're not gonna break franchise records every night. I mean, that rarely happens, anyways. But the fact that it's gone up is promising. Yeah. And I, I think there's more time, I think, with Cal Corver to, you know, try and implement him and see how he does and see how he impacts. Because that is, you know, it, it was a really good addition for the Jazz to bring him in. And maybe his influence can, you know, help the Jazz. You know, we talked about how it would help Donovan Mitchell if you brought in a secondary scorer. So if you, you know, bring in a really good shooter like Cal Corver, he, you know, he, 
you know, you have to pay attention to him. And you, you see how much NBA teams really have to pay attention to Kyle Korver. He makes teams pay attention. Like, they're practically double-teaming him every time he touches the ball sometimes. Or when he comes around screens, they're just swarming him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that'll leave a Jay Crowder wide open, a Joe Ingles more open, Donovan Mitchell more open, and all these different things. But, again, I was watching the San Antonio game, and Jay Crowder took, like, two or three wide-open three-pointers in the space of a couple of minutes, and he bricked both of them. One of them was just awful. It, like, hit the side of the backboard. And he was shooting from the, like, the corner almost. So just this obscene three-point shot, it's like, you don't get much more wide-open than that. And you brought up the Jazz are shooting a lot of wide-open shots, and they are. But they're not making them. You, you, if you're, you get wide open shots, that's literally the best you can do. And if you can't make wide open shots, then what are you doing in the NBA? <laughs> wow, I mean that that's a little harsh. I I miss wide open shots all the time, man. It it happens. Yep. But you're <laughs> not being paid tens of millions to be in the NBA. Oh, but again, I mean, we're coming full circle here. I mean, they're only human. I, I you, if you hesitate for even a little bit, whether it's your train of thought, you've got your ball like the hand on the wrong side of the ball. You know, you're thinking about too much about how you're gonna get it off, like the guy coming at you. There's so many different things that comes into it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to like say that they, sh- I mean, that I, I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, regardless, it's, it, it is something, it's more mental, if anything, that's, that's how shooting is. And Corver, yes, he's going, he garners a lot of attention. So yes, a lot of the people that are going to be open because he is being blanketed by a double or triple team or whatever should be able to make that shot. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, Corver's making his shots. Since joining the Jazz, he's shooting like 47%. You know, I think sure. he's had a couple of games I think against San Antonio. I think he went like 0 for 2 or something like that. But then in other games, he's going like 4 for 6. I mean, he might have struggled against San Antonio in this last game. But overall, he's shooting what we'd expect, what we hoped. He'll be fine. It's everyone else that I'm worried about. Sure, but I mean, but this comes down to going back inside, though. Yeah, well, well, the problem is you you can't go inside if you can't shoot threes. If if you can't make a wide open three point shot, what's the point of a driving kick? Well, it's not even the driving kick. Like I said, I mean, the the Jazz scored seventy points in the paint against the Houston Rockets. Now, given their defense is horrible, it's awful. Um, but even still, the, the point of emphasis on any basketball game with those few outliers that have all these incredible three-point shooters that can make uh, three-pointers like with their eyes closed, i.e. Golden State, um, you, the point of basketball is to get inside first. That's your most high percentage points. You've got Rudy Gobert that can get inside and do his thing. I mean, and he's actually busted out some moves recently um which is also yeah. promising Derek favors that's his numbed plum is getting inside whether it's you know that little 15 foot elbow jumper he's really good in there donovan mitchell he was scoreless for the first half of this game and then all of a sudden turned it in the second half and scored 27 points because he finally realized oh right i can do all of these things and he did i i, I don't know i mean it, it's situational and i mean 
things are always going to regress through the mean. We've talked about this plenty of times, even last season into this season. It's always how it's going to work out. Um, I just think that it's these guys know what they are capable of doing, and I wholeheartedly believe that they are going to get back to their winning ways because the schedule is only getting a little bit easier. I mean, OKC tomorrow is going to be his challenge, but we've got Orlando coming up in Mexico City. Uh, who's after that? I don't. Even, who's before them? I should say. I don't even remember. I think I closed out of the Jazz schedule, so uh, yeah, I know, uh, you know they have OKC and. Oh, we got Miami. Okay, so OKC, then Miami, then Miami. Orlando. But yeah, I... so. Yeah, well, kind of, kind of going back to the point, you know, uh, regression to the mean and going inside. I definitely agree that you want to try and get inside, and that's Utah's strength, and that's what you'd want Donovan Mitchell to do. But in the modern NBA, you do need to be able to shoot three pointers with at least decent consistency, which the Jazz can't do. They're completely inconsistent. I mean, one night they set a franchise record, 20 of 33 from three. And then against, you know, San Antonio, I mean, I don't know if they shot terrible against San Antonio, but then you see all the the numbers. Pretty much nobody shot well against San Antonio. So, yeah, well, Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell shot pretty decent. It was 31% is now I'm looking up the, the three-point percentage which is below average. League average this year is 35%. Hmm. And the Jazz have three players that shoot above that. I think, and I think if you go to the fourth, which is Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is our fourth best three-point shooter on the team. Uh, he shoots 33%. So you have three players that shoot above 33%, and so one of them is Joe Ingles, the other is Royce O'Neal, and then Kyle Korver. Um, that's not the rent. That's not the rank in three-point percentage. But two of those players who shoot above league average are averaging fewer than 20 minutes a game for the Jazz. Um, one of their top five minutes guys is shooting above 33%. And again, that's that's Ricky Rubio, or sorry, Joe Ingles. Ricky Rubio is 33%. Um, so. You know, definitely the Jazz, their strength is being able to score inside. Donovan Mitchell's a really good slasher. He's really good at getting into the paint, and he's been pretty decent this year, or at least pretty decent in his career, at finishing in the paint with some struggles this year. And Derek Favors is really good in the paint. And But if you have basically one starter that can shoot at a decent, at a decent clip, league average clip, and then two rotation players and that's it you know teams are gonna key in on that and they're gonna defend the paint which it's a lot easier to defend the paint than it is to defend the perimeter sure and then you get these games where the jazz score 90 points 80 points things like that and it's not going to work out every night and the jazz need a model of offense that's going to work every night with a couple of exceptions, because obviously, it, you know, teams lose twenty games a year, at least. I don't. I don't know if it's the offense, though, man. I mean, if they're getting open looks, there's no reason. I mean, I say no reason, but the offense. I mean, they're getting what they want. They're getting everything they want. They're just not hitting them. And that's my problem. Is that they're not hitting them? So it's something with the players and their ability to shoot and. Maybe it is just a you know a slump, but this is a 30-game slump for everybody. 
on a team that has a bunch of players who aren't known for their shooting. Rubio's not known for his shooting. You know, Favors, Gobert, you know, you know Rudy and Derek Favors, anywhere outside of 10 feet, not known for their shooting. Uh, you know, inside 10 feet, they're tremendously dominant. But, you know, mm-hmm. you've only got a couple of players who consistently can hit three-point shots. You know, it doesn't matter how many wide-open three-pointers I get. I'm never going to hit them. Uh, enough to make anybody respect me. So if the Jazz are getting all their wide-open shots but not making them, you know, that's nice for the offense that they're able to get wide-open shots. But if they're not hitting them, then what's the point in getting those wide-open shots if they can't be hit by the team? So that that's kind of my problem is that, you know, the offense can generate open shots and generate good looks. We've seen that from Quinn Snyder's offense for three or four years now. The problem is that the roster that's you know, using that offense can't take advantage of those open shots. True. Yeah, I mean, we'll, I mean, maybe trade is, I don't know. I, we always come back to like this conversation. We beat it to like a dead horse. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it is... I think the roster is definitely capable of it. I mean, we saw what they did in the latter half of the season last year, um, and essentially the same team. I think it's just more or less them trusting their abilities. And and I agree that the, the the roster should be able to do this because last year, I mean, well, let's see, Royce was shooting well. Donovan's is a big part of the problem because he's not shooting well. He's shooting under 30% from three, I believe, if I'm remembering this right. Let's see. Let's look at it. Got to look up all my numbers. Yeah, so 29%. That's, again, not including the San Antonio game, but that's probably not pushing him over 30. You know, three for eight is north of 29%, but, I mean, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, obviously Kyle Korver helps, but... You know, maybe if Tabo were playing more, and Tabo has been playing a little bit more, and he played, he's played pretty well. But unless Jay Crowder, like early in the season, we were praising Jay Crowder for playing like he did in Boston, but now he's not. So I don't know. I, I guess I I kind of agree with you, but I kind of don't. Where I, I think we've seen this roster pull off the shooting. And I'd like to believe they can, but my confidence in that is dwindling with every single game where I watch Jay Crowder, Ricky Rubio, and Don Mitchell brick threes all day. So I, I think, you know, if, and maybe we're just going to have to wait the entire season because the only other option would be to trade, which again, we've, we beat that, like you said, to a dead horse pulp. Um, the only other option would be to try and reconstruct this roster at the end of the year um, to maybe bring in guys maybe like Kyle Korver or you know, bring in, replace some of these role players with good shooters. Or, But, of course, that brings up its own number of problems. It could bring up problems of defense, which you know, this squad is supposed to be really good at defense. And that brings up the whole problem of sacrificing defense for offense. So... I feel like we're in a bind here. We, there's almost no direction for the Jazz to go right now, um, other than just hope our current roster gets better. 
Yeah, I mean, because there's really no one to, like, go grab at this point, at least as far as I know. I, I, was, th I was thinking about it the other day. I thought, well, you know what? It would actually be kind of cool to get uh, to get a Trevor Ariza, but he would probably be too high of a price tag for that. Because he would, he would help bolster the three-point shot, and he would help bolster the defense. But I think he's got higher priorities in as terms of, like, his list of teams he would want to go. He went to Phoenix. He didn't really have a choice. <laughs> he signed with Phoenix. He could have signed with the Rockets and signed with Phoenix. I don't think he would mind going to the Jazz. Yeah. Didn't well. Houston had to get rid of him because they couldn't pay him anymore. Well, they didn't want to pay him fifteen million. They were trying to resign him, but sure. Phoenix walked in and said, "Here, have fifteen million dollars." And Trevor Ruiz was like, "Uh, yeah, I'll take that." Because <laughs> Houston wasn't gonna. Houston probably wouldn't have paid half that. Fair. Um, but Phoenix was willing to pay Trevor Ruiz what he was worth, roughly. So we took that, and I don't blame Ariza completely for that, because you know you want to get paid. But uh, I do agree that, you know, I love Ariza, but his, his price tag is a little too high. Both kind of his salary might be too much to pay for a guy who I don't think is under contract for more than... Did he sign just a one-year deal? Yeah, he he signed that, like, veteran deal with them for one year. Yeah, so I guess it wouldn't be too bad paying $15 million for one year, but then you'd risk losing him again because he's going to want $15 million again, and I don't think he's worth that to be a... You know, seventh or eighth man off the bench, or off, you know, second or third guy off the bench. Mm hmm. And so, <laughs> maybe it's just going to come down to development, and maybe it's just one more piece, maybe one big piece. That that's why I like the idea of bringing in another score, and I think that might. I don't know. Maybe that won't help because again. The idea of bringing in another score would be to create more wide-open shots, which I've, we've already established Jazz can't hit. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a really a getting an open shot knocker-downer guy. Uh, I think it would be someone who, more like a Donovan Mitchell, who can create his own shot. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, that would, like, generate offense, obviously. Um, but, again, that would bring up the problem of everybody else on the roster not making shots because... And maybe it would help Donovan Mitchell. I don't know. It's, I guess that's just the, the whole crux of this is that I don't know what's going wrong, and I don't know how to fix it. And that's why I'm not a GM, because I wouldn't know what to do from here. Because yeah. the roster, as is, is hasn't worked for most of the season. They've done better over the last five games or so. I have to give them that. But over the season, and I'm still seeing some of the problems in those five games, just something about this roster isn't working. They aren't gelling like they did last year. They're not hitting their shots like they did last year. And I'm at my wit's end over this. Because there's no explanation, there's no injuries, there's nothing that can explain why Jay Crowder can't hit wide open threes. Why Joe Ingles' shooting percentage is down like 5%. Why Donovan Mitchell is not you know, able to develop into a more efficient scorer where he's shooting sub-43% and sub-30%. You know, his effective field goal percentage is 48%, which is not very good. 
Sure, so, and it's like we're over we're I, I we're over this sophomore slump kind of uh intro to the season. I think at this point, like a lot of people, like Kuzma and uh, I don't remember who else the other rookies were, but they're not. I mean, if they were in their sophomore slumps, they're on their way out of it. And I think Donovan's still getting there. I just feel like he tends to put a little too much pressure on himself, and he feels like he has to do a little too much moving forward. Which, I mean, again, he's only human. I mean, that's something he wants to do. He cares, and that's always good. But, um, yeah, I don't know. With with Joe Ingles, yeah, that one that one's weird. Yeah, and maybe this team just needs some sort of shot in the arm. And maybe Cal Corbett can be that. You know, if he can continues to play well, that can kind of give the Jazz some momentum. Maybe if the Jazz win a couple of games or, you know, three or four games in a row, and they start shooting well, maybe that'll break them out of the slump because we've seen the potential out of this team. Sure. And I, I feel like we're like even being a little too hard on them at this point because, I mean, this week they went 2-1. They they beat wholeheartedly. They, they beat San Antonio. They walked them out the building, and then Houston came in, and Rudy went out, and then the team responded very well. There are good signs here. There are really good signs, and I think that, that from this point on, I mean, if we are talking about this next week and we've, you know, they lost the next, I think, what, three games we have before we record next week, um, uh, then I would say, okay, let's have, maybe let's have this conversation again, but good things are, they're on the upswing. They really are. Yeah, and I totally agree with them, Lynn, and one thing that we need to talk about uh, is the defense, which has improved. We've seen an improvement in defense. Uh, you know, teams are are shooting worse. I mean, looking at their their last few games, I mean, they held Miami to 102 points. They held San Antonio to 105. They held Houston to 91. And San Antonio got 110, but, you know, one mediocre defensive game versus four pretty solid defensive games. I mean, you know, since bringing in Kyle Korver, who, I mean, Kyle Korver's not exactly known for his defense, but you know, since... I don't and I don't know if he has had anything to do with the current defensive upswing, but the Jazz have been playing better on defense, and even you know a couple of games before that, holding Brooklyn to ninety one, Charlotte to one eleven. You know these their defense is looking better, and I think that has played a factor. I think if def, the the Jazz can get their defense to play like it was last year. I think that'll actually help the offense out a lot. Oh, it absolutely will, especially because we've been doing much better at uh, scoring on the fast break. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's a huge <laughs> uh, morale boost when you stop a team multiple times, and you're stopping them three or four times on the defensive end in a row. You know, you go back down the court and you think, yeah, we're doing really good, and this is, you know, it's often how runs work, you know. You stop them a couple times and you score a couple of buckets and it just you know, collapses into suddenly you're on a 12-0 run. And I think the Jazz, last year, they were feeding off that mentality constantly where we're stopping them and then we're scoring. And we're seeing a little bit of that in these last few games where we act, the Jazz are actually stopping teams consistently and maybe inject a little bit more into that offense. Like, you know, when, when they were hitting their threes against San Antonio, they were literally unstoppable. And then against Houston, they did okay on threes. Uh, 
at least a couple of players did okay on threes. And they were holding, they were completely demolishing Houston defensively. Now, I think that model, and that was the model from last year, if we can get back to that, if the Jazz can get back to stopping teams and feeding that into their offense, maybe that'll solve some of their shooting problems that we've seen this season. Maybe. I, I, I think that that's right on the head. <laughs> I, I don't really know how else to extrapolate on that. I mean, it really is. They, they know... And they were starting to believe in not just the system. I mean, I know that Quinn incorporated some new things. I still don't know what those new things are. So it was more for them just kind of figuring that out, getting back into a comfort zone with them, which I think they are. I, um, we're, three, we're a quarter of the way through the season now. I'm not going to say that it's early anymore. Um, I mean, we talked about this two weeks ago, I think. We're just like, you know, it's not early anymore. But I think, like I said, I, I think things are on the upswing. I, I don't really feel like things are going to go or get any worse. I don't know. I We might get beat by 30 points this another game. I don't know. But, I mean, that's always, I mean, every good team is going to lose games like that. That's just the nature of the NBA. Well, so a couple of things I can guarantee or pretty close to guarantee is that, one, we probably will lose a game by 30 points or close to 30 points. But the other thing is that I think this season will get better. The oh, schedule's going to get well. easier. Yeah, the schedule's going to get easier. And any sort of gelling by this team, if they manage to gel together like they did last season, and again, I think you know they pulled off that eleven-game win streak after the Atlanta loss. That I think played more of a like played a huge role in the fact that the Jazz were able to have that big record, that really good record at the end of the season. Um, not just because they won 11 games, but because those 11 games told them, hey, we're really good, now let's play really good, and they did. So if the Jazz pull together, let's say, a 7- or 8-game win streak, or maybe even better, then I think that'll give them the confidence to say, hey, look at us. We can do really good. And then... Yeah, we just need we just need Rudy to get injured again. Because that's really, I mean, if you think about it, that's really what kind of spawned the whole run, honestly. Uh, I know it sounds horrible, but when Rudy went down for the second time, he was out for a pretty decent amount of time. So everybody else had to kind of step up and figure out how to play with each other that way. And then when Rudy was back into the lineup, Rudy's game is the same every single time he plays. So you're just basically putting a piece back into the fray that already knows what he's supposed to do, and you've got everyone else on another level. <laughs> I mean, it does sound kind of messed up, but at the end of the day, like if anybody has gone out, I mean, favors for coming into the Houston game. It was We had Rudy for no part of that game, basically, and favors was like, hey, it's my time. Yeah. So maybe this team just needs some sort of inciting incident or whatever. Uh <laughs> You know, to trigger hero mode or something like that uh, from everybody. Because yeah, I guess something's got to happen. Sure. And you know who? Else, you know who's out of the job right now? Jeff Hornacek. Yeah. Jeff, Horn- Jeff Hornacek was a shooting coach before he went and did uh, head coaching for Phoenix. Why not bring him back? Yeah, they should. <laughs> and maybe they can, you know, work on some of these guys. Again, I don't know what's what's wrong with some of these guys. I don't know what's wrong with. Donovan Mitchell's shot, but he's you know, he, he can't hit it anything, at least outside of you know the paint. That's what it feels like. Um, so just a lot of work by a lot of these players, and again, if some sort of spark, some sort of injection, 
whatever that may be. Again, it could be a trade. It could be maybe Coach Snyder finally lights into them, like, you know, gives them all a swift kick in the butt or something. I don't know. But if something happens that lights these guys off, they can definitely go off and be the, one of the best teams in the NBA, capable of beating anybody by 20 or 30 points. But the Jazz need to find a way to make that happen. Yeah, they will. the sooner that happens, the better. But, they will. But I, my biggest worry is that won't happen, that they won't have that spark, that they won't have something that sets them off where they then go on and win a bunch of games and show the potential this roster showed last year. They will. I know it's just I, like I know it's like a few word answers here, but they will. Yeah, I, I hope so too. But I could very well see this team not doing that. But I I don't know. That's that's the that's the three letter answer I have is I don't know. You don't know. Well, um, let's go with the person that has a better idea. I'm just kidding. But seriously, um, <laughs> like I said, I mean, I'm going to keep coming back to this, man. Things are pointing in the right direction. I really don't feel like the uh, pessimist in you should really, I mean, yes, there should be a little bit of a worry as to maybe what could happen. But like I said, things are on the upswing. I don't really feel like this is going to be one of those seasons that we're just like, oh my God, it was a total failure. I do not think with the way they're playing that we will get to the second round the way we are, like we did last season. But we also, at this point of the season last year, were having kind of this same conversation. We didn't know, like, what is this team? And then all of a sudden, January hits, and the Jazz were off and running. And they're back into the playoffs. They beat the, the Oklahoma City Thunder in six games, and they're playing against the Houston Rockets. Um I mean, if we were talking about if 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 we were Houston Rockets fans, we would be having a, a like a panic episode, wholeheartedly because that team is a disaster this year, and I don't even know if they have money to throw at anybody else. Whereas the Jazz are in a really good position, and let's not forget that the West is the craziest I've ever seen it. Like it is insane. With with the exception of Phoenix, there is like little to no room for error moving forward because it is that tight. Yeah, and and everything you said is pretty much true. And again, the suit of the Houston Rockets, they have to pay Chris Paul around forty million dollars next couple of years or three. So yeah, I think when you you compare the Jazz relative, I mean they're going to have tons of cap room to move around this off season, which. That's nice, but again, I, I I worry about this season. Maybe maybe we'll see the January Jazz again. Maybe that'll happen. And I do agree that the signs are pointing up. We've seen better offense. We've seen better defense in the in this last week or so. So in I I do agree that things are looking up because there's been a bit of a shakeup and the Jazz are playing better since that. So. I'd, I'd like to be more optimistic than I am, I, but <laughs> I don't know. There's there's just still things that worry me. The fact that the Jazz can't hit wide-open shots worries me. But, I mean, if they do start hitting them, maybe. Sure. Well, I mean, they hit, they hit franchise record 20. They did. So <laughs> I, I give them props for that, but then they've had 
all the other games they yeah. haven't done so well. So we get more of a sample size since this Cal Corver trade. Um, and get things going. I think one thing the Jazz need to try and stick to more, and I, I know I criticize Jay Crowder for his shooting a little bit, but you notice when the Jazz start Jay Crowder, they've played a little bit better. They, you know, I think, well, did they start him in the San Antonio game? The first San Antonio game where we blew him out? I don't think so, actually. I don't, I don't really know. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about that plenty of times. Derek Favors should be the backup. He shouldn't be starting at the four next to Rudy. It's not going to work. Um, they've shown signs that it can, but at the end of the day, you have Jay Crowder as your starting power forward. That is your also best defensive lineup to start, isn't it? I, I think it is. Um, it's, the, it's, their be- it's their best lineup, period. Right, yeah. I, the, the, why are we not starting with that? I mean, Chris Snyder is trying to do this as like a situational thing or team by team or game by whatever. Um, he just needs to put him in at the starting lineup. I don't think Favors is going to take that as like an affront to him. I don't think he's going to be or feel like he's disrespected for that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the changes that the Jazz really should embrace because that I think will help them going forward. And that give me a little more confidence is to see Quinn Snyder willing to make the changes that need to happen, that being one. Because right now I'm seeing him being super stubborn about Jay Crowder being on the bench whenever a, they're facing a team that has a power forward taller than six foot five, you know. And I mean, I think him bringing Tabo Cephalosha in, that's a change that we'll see how that, that goes. But I think Quinn Snyder needs to adjust some of what he's doing as well. Um, which, I, you know, And that's one of those things, is to start Jay Crowder. Because you know, we, we talked about this a lot of times, that the, the Jazz can't keep expecting better results by doing the same thing. And... So again, that's okay, Jay Crowder is one of the changes. Trading for Kyle Korver is one of the changes, and we're going to see how that, you know, what results from that. So, and again, this goes back to what I said earlier: is if the Jazz need to try, the Jazz need to try and force the, you know, called the the inciting incident where or the the spark that leads the Jazz, you know, to the the winning that we saw last year to the dominant defense, to the efficient offense. They need to force that to happen instead of waiting for it to happen. That's, I don't know, that's about all I got to say at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly, like, I, I think we've said all that there is to say at this point. Because <laughs> um, it's funny, we have, like, this theme of, like, our episodes, we just keep, like, beating the same thing into submission. But I mean, it is fine. We've 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 made plenty of good points. Um, I just I I would love to see kind of what Dennis Lindsay has up his sleeve, in terms of what he has for the rest of the season. Is he going to make another move? Is he going to wait to the off season? Um, you're right. I think Quinn Snyder definitely needs to try and change up a few things. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that he is all about preparation, and I hear players all the time say that he wants to incorporate new things he's always wanting to try new things um and i like what you brought up is like if, if you're doing something over and over it's probably not going to work and that's also the definition of insanity is if you keep 
doing the same thing over and over again and still getting little to no result or anything new out of that. Um, so, I mean, that is something to kind of look forward to, but I mean, we still, we got to get through December 1st. Um, and I'm interested to see, I mean, really at the end of the, Dece at the end of December, it is not as brutal as last December's was, um, but it's still kind of a brutal schedule for them in December. And I would love to see like, if at the end of this, if at the end of December, we're kind of about where we are, where we were last year, I think we might need to maybe go the pessimistic route and maybe see that, okay, well, this season isn't going to work out the same way, but then we could be eating our words come January. And then all of a sudden the jazz blow up and go on like a 12, 13 game win streak. And then we're like, Oh my God, they're so good. Wow. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to go off of just this one game. Like, the Spurs were looking for revenge, and we knew wholeheartedly that that's the way it was going to be. And it's a Greg Popovich coach team. You can't count them out at any time. So, them losing tonight, and the way that they kind of responded, I mean, we got within five to six points a few times. The, the Spurs just had too much rhythm and too much confidence in what they were doing. So it was kind of too little too late at that point. But as far as I'm concerned, this week was a great week for the Jazz. Yeah, and I'd agree. There's Again, there's, there's positive things. So I, I think if the Jazz are about where they are right now, come the end of December, through the, the rough schedule, if we're about 500 and fighting to get above or just below 500, I'd be okay with that. Because the schedule does get easier and the Jazz could have a chance to make a run against an easier schedule. Um but aside from all that, I think we're we're about ready to wrap up here because, like you said, we've we've already beat a lot of these topics to death, and I'm running into too many stutterings and I don't knows at this point. So we just need more material to work with. So we're gonna hold it off till next week. We'll see what what the next few games brings because maybe that'll that'll tell us a little bit more. If the Jazz go off, get a three game win streak, or go two and one again, you know that'll kind of confirm. You know, a lot of your optimism and some of my tempered optimism, or if they go 0-3 or 1-2, that'll end up confirming my more pessimistic leanings about this team. So we'll see how it goes. But thank you so much for listening. Again, this is Jason Walker, Trey Sanders. We'll talk to you next week.